Hello, this is Pastor Don from the Atlantic Evangelical Free Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check us out on the web at AtlanticFreeChurch.com. In the meantime, I hope the sermon you're about to hear draws you closer to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. If you'd open up your Bibles to Galatians, and Stacy will share. This morning's reading comes from Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentiles in it, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavors to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if by righteousness... If, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians 15 through 20, 15, chapter 2, 15 through 22. Good morning. So, some of you may not know me. Um, if you don't, I am Pastor Andrew here. I'm the Associate Pastor of Youth and Worship here at Atlantic E Free, soon to be Grace Point Church. Looking forward to that September. Um, those of you from VBS may also remember me as Mr. Music. And in case you didn't quite figure out the answer to the question that Cindy asked at the beginning of VBS, is Mr. Music Man bald or not? You can leave today with no doubt, Mr. Music Man is bald. <laughs> but welcome back. It is a pleasure to see you all again. The past few weeks, Heidi and I have been watching a TV show about cults. And every episode focuses on a different cult. Fortunately for us, it doesn't look at them from the perspective of a Christian, but it does from a secular worldview. In every episode, Heidi and I find ourselves crying out, how have you perverted the gospel like this? It's easy to think that this is just an issue of our age, but our passage today shows that this has been an issue from the very beginning. So before diving too deep into our text, well, let's talk about the reason Paul had to write this letter to begin with. Paul had already visited the church in Galatia and preached the gospel to them. After he had moved on, a group called the Judaizers around and began to supplement Paul's teaching. Now, the Judaizers didn't come in and say, oh yeah, everything Paul taught you was wrong. You know, but they did come in and say, that's only part of it. That's part one of your step, right? Their message was that salvation didn't just come um, by only hearing and receiving the Gospels, but that followers of, of Christ also needed to be adherents to the Mosaic Law, teaching them that to receive the promises made to Abraham, they would need to undergo the sign that was given to Abraham, the sign of circumcision. Now we see this kind of thing still happening today, whether it's some offshoot of Christianity, where scripture needs to be supplemented by, some wor by the words of some modern prophet, or something that likely hits a bit closer to home, like humans' natural tendency to work towards legalism. 
Legalism is really tempting, right? Because it's easy for us to believe that our faith isn't enough to be saved, that we have to put harsher rules on our lives than what is required by Scripture to be truly saved. Because no true Christian would ever be caught in a movie theater or with a glass of wine or wearing shorts to church. I mean, who would do that? <laughs> now, now that I've offended half the congregation today, <laughs> the text that Stacy read today, and thank you, Stacy, for reading, uh, is essentially Paul's thesis statement to the Galatians. Now, unlike when I was writing papers in school, Paul is actually eloquent and provides for the Galatians and for us three great arguments for why we should avoid false teachers and put our trust in the gospel we have been taught. Because it's very tempting for us to fall into the same issues the Galatians did. Maybe not necessarily with circumcision, but with other extra rules, like the wearing shorts, shorts to church. But Paul reminds us that these are not true, and that scripture itself can attest this for us. So, our question today is, if the slide changed, I'm pressing the wrong button, that's why. I should practice this more often. Reasons we can trust we are saved through faith. And Paul's first reason is through our experience. So if you don't mind looking at Galatians 3, let's look at verse 1 through 5. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul starts with a pretty harsh rebuke. Calling someone a fool at this time is a pretty offensive thing. I'd still say it's a little offensive, but I wouldn't be super offended if you called me a fool. Um, and he calls out their lack of discernment, right? They were taught by him the gospel of Christ's birth, life, crucifixion, and resurrection. They had accepted the gospel that he had preached and had experienced the change in their life. The becoming of a new creation that comes with giving your heart over to Christ and accepting him as our Lord and Savior and receiving the Holy Spirit. No sooner had they accepted this from Paul did they accept the false teachings of the Judaizers. Now remember, like I said before, the Judaizers didn't come and throw everything Paul had said away. Um, they came and told them that his teaching was only the first step. They also needed the second step to secure their salvation. Just like Abraham, they also needed to be circumcised. They also needed the fall of the law of Moses, which would have included like, the avoiding of certain foods, wearing certain clothing, you know, all the arguments that non-believers often use today to try to imply that Christians are hypocrites and only believe what they choose to believe, despite Christ having already clearly stated, like, all food is clean, and then Paul, uh, Peter had his vision. But Paul isn't holding back punches here, right? He's calling them fools, asking a series of rhetorical questions. Did they receive the Holy Spirit through hearing the gospel of faith or by doing the works of the law? Did we receive the Holy Spirit by doing works or by receiving and believing the gospel? 
Were they now to be perfected by their works in following the Mosaic law to a T? Why bother with faith at all if, it, if, it, if works is a secure of our faith? Does God perform his miracles through works of the law? No. They had experienced their life changed as they received the Holy Spirit and began the process of sanctification. Those of us who have heard and believed the gospel that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die as punishment for our sins have also experienced this change in our lives. We can trust in that experience to know that works are not what save us, but faith in Christ is what saves us. So, those of you who have gone through this, I want you to take just a moment to reflect. What was your life like before you received the Holy Spirit? What is it like now as a new creation? And for those who aren't there yet, maybe think about where your life is now and feel free to talk to someone after the service about what was the change in their life? What is it like to be a new creation? Let's move on to our second point that I think is probably the one most of us would lean on. This is Paul's argument from Scripture. This is verse 6 through 14. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, <clears throat> know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God before the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now many of you may remember last week in Sunday school, Don taught on the sufficiency of scripture from Grudem's systematic theology. One question that it raised was, was the Old Testament sufficient for the Jewish people to be saved? And Paul's writing here basically states that, yes, it was. The law did not justify anyone to God. It taught us about God, and we were to obey God by obeying what he taught us was right. But the work of simply following the law does not save. Faith is what saved Abraham. And Paul quotes back the Genesis 15. Uh, this is verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, reading this in context with the chapters before and afterwards, right? It doesn't state that Paul was circumcised and it was counted to him as righteousness, but that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is an appropriate reference to make, since it wouldn't be until quite some time afterwards that the sign of the covenant would be made clear in circumcision. See, in Genesis 15... Abraham had no children when God makes his covenant with him. Then in chapter 16, his first son, Ishmael, is born to him through his wife, Sarah's servant. And then finally in chapter 17, God tells Abraham that the sign of their covenant will be circumcision. And that his wife, Sarah, will indeed bear him a son, Isaac. So there's at least like 
nine months or so between there, probably much more. Now, if Abraham had already been declared righteous because of his faith in Genesis 15, would he really not be saved until he performed the sign given to him in chapter 17? Of course not. He was already declared righteous by God. Now, do we as Christians in the new covenant need to follow the entire Mosaic law? No. Our salvation is not set upon the law. Jesus bore our transgressions on the cross for us. Verse 13 and 14 of this passage in Galatians specify this for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ did fulfill the law. There's no person was able to do it before. He lived the sinless life that we, Moses, Abraham, even Adam and Eve, were not able to. We're no longer bound by the law because Jesus has already fulfilled it. He broke us of those chains. So how many of y'all grew up in church singing, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. You're welcome for having that stuck in your head the rest of the day. The reason we as Christians can sing this is because through Christ, salvation and the blessings of Abraham came to the Gentiles who believe as well. Not simply through the mark of circumcision, but through the sharing in the same faith that Abraham observed in Genesis 15. Christ did the work that allowed us to be grafted into that line of Abraham. And this fulfills the promise given to Abraham that Paul mentions in verse 8. And you shall all the nations be blessed. The word nations in scripture almost always refers to countries that were not Israel, or at the very least, it would include Israel and other nations. Before Christ, non-Israelites had not been included in this blessing, but through Christ, we have been included in this. This will bring us to our final argument that Paul makes here about how we can know that faith is what has saved us, and that is through God's character. Look at Galatians 3, verse 15 to 18 with me. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So how can we logically understand that all of this is true? If even we, as fallen humans, can make contracts with each other and hold to them, how much more does God hold to his promises? God's promises to Abraham isn't a contract that can be broken. It's an internal covenant. Once we know that God is unchanging and his character is always the same, but Paul references back to Genesis 15 once again to explain some particularities about God's covenant with Abraham. If you want to, you can flip back to me with Genesis 15. This will be verses 17 through 21. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the t- these pieces. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's me growing up. This passage always seemed really strange. A smoking fire pot and a torch passed between two pieces. Well, what is that? Essentially, what really happens here is that God makes this covenant with himself, but typically in a covenant, covenant, two people would pass through some split animals to make this promise. Um, but God waits until it's dark, and Abraham is asleep, like I like to do. And then he passes through with himself as a smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. Then he proclaims, I give this land to your offspring solidifying the covenant that God makes with Abraham over and over again in Genesis. If you read Genesis, it just restates the Abrahamic covenant over and over and over and over again. All my kids and youth that just went through Genesis and uh, through their spring semester this last year probably remember we never stopped reiterating that covenant. So why did God do it this way? Why did he pass through by himself? Why did he not go with Abraham? You know the sinfulness of man. God knew that the promise could not stand if Abraham had to hold up his own end. So God makes the promise with himself bearing the punishment of a broken covenant. God doesn't change, so he's not going to break his own covenant with himself. So his covenant to Abraham that his promise would continue to his offspring is still in effect. God giving the law to Moses doesn't negate that promise that he made to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. He gave his law so that we could know more and to protect us from sin. Now we're able to know a lot about God's character through the law that was given to Moses. Sin ended up being much more easily defined for us. We learned not only things that God didn't just want the Israelites to do, but also what actions he considered detestable. And because he is unchanging, we can know that what parts of the law are still necessary for us to know about sin and what parts were specific civil and ceremonial laws for Israel. Right? If God said something was detestable to him, I think it's still detestable to him today because God doesn't change. So, the end. God's promise is not void. Just like Abraham, we too are saved by our faith. Christ's death has allowed us, who are not direct descendants of Abraham, to be considered his children. What makes us, as evangelical Christians, different from Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses? We still hold to this truth from Paul, that God's promises to Abraham still hold true for us, that it is our faith in Christ that justifies us. We have not needed to add any continuing revelation from new prophets, doing what the Judaizers did, adding extra works in order to be saved. We don't need to know, add any legalistic constraints to be saved. We need God's grace, and that is given through our faith in him. It's really easy for us to fall into legalism. I think that just because I feel uncomfortable with something, anyone else should act the same way. Even if there's no scriptural basis for that belief. We would do well to remember the five solas laid out by Martin Luther in the Reformation that we should base our beliefs on scripture alone, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and that is all for God's glory alone. We don't need to weigh each other down with other laws and thus hinder them from faith. 
preach the gospel in full and know that we are made righteous by our faith in Christ, just as Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith. It isn't because of anything that we have done, but because of the work that Christ did. It is Christ's work that paid for our sin, not our own. For all have fallen short of the glory of the God. Let us not rob God of his glory. So some of you may have heard me reference the gospel over and over again today. Right? For those that don't know it, right, the gospel is that we are all fallen, broken sinners who cannot save ourselves by our own works. But God sent his only son, Jesus, come live a perfect life, follow the Mosaic law. And he died and bore our sin as a punishment on the cross. Three days later, he was resurrected. And through him, we have that faith to know that death has been defeated. If you would like to talk to someone about that today, um, you can find me after the service. Can I get the elders or deacons or anyone who has been an elder or deacon to raise their hands so they can see who they can be willing to talk to? And I know these are all wonderful godly men that will happily share more with you. So this morning, I'd like to leave us off with some of Paul's most famous words. This is from Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Eight through nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and that we can know you through it. Thank you for making our salvation not be by our own works because none of us could ever possibly measure up if that was the case. Thank you for loving us, for sending us your son who would bore our sin and die for us and that he would defeat death for us. Lord, help this message to reach whoever needs to hear it, whoever needs to know that they can't earn their way to salvation. It is through faith in you that they receive it. Help them to hear that today. We love you so much, and we're thankful for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.